The Tennis Gambling Podcast on the Sports Game Podcast Network is brought to you by Hall of Fame Bets, sports betting research platform for parlays, player props, and game ones. Download the Hall of Fame Bets app or visit agewebbets.com. Use code SGPN to get 50% off your first month and start making smarter bets today. We're also brought to you by Cut. Cut is a peer-to-peer social betting platform that's U.S.-based and legal in 40 states. Head to cut.com, that's K-U-T-T.com, and use promo code SGPN to get a 10% deposit bonus and we're brought to you by the sgpn merch store get 15 percent off everything when you use the promo code playoffs and welcome everybody to the tennis gambling podcast here on the sports game podcast in it's currently thursday afternoon january 18th and i'm your host always scott rachel once again going solo for this pod should be a fun episode time to get into the third round of the australian open on the men's side so we're going to cover the matches that caught my eye, matches that I thought had some value. So we're not going to cover all the matches, kind of like the second round. We are going to stick with a couple. And then maybe if there's time, I'll mention some brief leans on the other ones. But I do, once again, want to keep the same format, keep it timely. And we are going to be going through some of the third round matches without going through all of them. Now, before we get into any of that, do want to take care of some housekeeping. We're going to start off with the recap of the lock and dog picks. So starting off with that, Ended up having a pretty good episode. We did split the lock and dog picks, but we kind of hit a bonus dog that we gave out mid-episode for a big long shot price. So starting off with the lock, had Tommy Paul on the money line at minus 145 against Draper. We actually got a horrible line. It closed the minus 110. So there was a big steam move on Draper. A lot of people were betting Draper before the match. I have no idea why. Uh, Tommy Paul beat him in four. Uh, the main concern for me with Draper was his fitness level, especially after that marathon match against Giron in the outdoor courts uh, in the first round. We saw Draper win, shake hands with Giron, and he immediately puked. And he was kind of hunched over on the chair afterwards. So I knew his fitness would not be there, and I did think Tommy Paul would be able to eventually outlast Draper in what should have been a pretty fun and interesting match. That's what we got. It was a four-set match, 7-5 in the Fourth, I believe Draper had a break point or two and could not convert, and then Paul ended up holding, and then immediately got the boomerang break as he ended up getting the break before serving it out at 6-5. Can't say I was shocked by the outcome, not just because we had Paul, but it was really tough for Draper, in my opinion, to physically recover from such a just a marathon match in the first round while Paul coasted in straight sets in the first round. Paul also had some revenge on his mind after losing to Draper in one of the tune-up events before the Australian Open, but it was a good spot for Paul. I really don't know why money came in on Draper. Not our problem. Picked up a nice win there. As for the dog, though, ended up picking up a loss at a two-pick parlay. We followed an angle that's actually been very profitable so far in the Australian Open, which has been the over three and a half sets. You have seen a lot of matches go four or five, and we tailed that angle, but unfortunately picked one of the wrong matches to do so. Did pick up, did uh, pick the right match, though, with Greek Sport and Fees, as Greek Sport did win in four, so that ended up going over, but unfortunately, parlayed that with Monfi and Echeverry over three and a half sets, and that did not work out as Echeverry did beat Monfi comfortably in straight sets. So ended up splitting there, but I mentioned before we did give out a Really solid long shot, which was kind of my signature prop from last year. A player to lose the first set and win the match. And we talked about that for Pass against Thompson. We like uh, Thompson to win the first set and Pass to win the match. And that paid out at plus 550, which got there. Been a very good angle so far into this event. And we might potentially be taking that moving forward. But overall, a good episode. 
not just for the random Cincy Pass plus 550 call or the fact the lock won, despite a lot of people betting against us. So it felt good to get that one right. But in general, a lot of the leans we had for the matches worked out. And I'm going to go through the preview of those second round matches in a second. Before we get into any of that, I do actually want to switch gears and talk about the women's side for a second. Not going to go through a deep dive in the entire event or on the entire event. I know there were a couple of marathon matches where Swiatek, for example, was able to come back from a really tough deficit double breakdown in the third set against Collins before she inevitably won 6-4 in the final set. I know it takes two to tango because Swiatek showed a lot of resolve and was able to come back. But damn, that was a bad job. That was a bad choke job by Collins. That was really bad. And Collins announced after the match that she was going to retire at the end of the calendar year, which is a bit sad, uh, saddening. But the point is, solid job by Swiatek to bounce back and to keep herself alive in this Grand Slam event. As for Collins, tough break. Kana, I don't want to compare it to the Madison Keys choke job we saw in the U.S. Open last year against Sabalenka. But you get my point. Anytime you have a chance to pull off an upset against a top three player, and you fall short in a match you probably should have won. Not exactly a fun situation. And the fact that Collins announced that she was going to retire at the end of the year kind of compounded my feelings. But either way, that was going to be the main story that I was going to talk about, which was going to be the Swiatek uh, comeback and how the number one player or number two player in the world, I forgot what Swiatek is now, but top two player in the world, and how she was almost uh, out of the entire event. And then suddenly nobody cared about that match because you had arguably the greatest set of tennis ever played, especially on women's. I think for women's, it was. You can argue that in terms of matches, the Kuznetsova and the Schiavone match in the Australian Open back in 2011 might have been better because that ended up being a 16-14 final set pre-tiebreak. The final set in that match took three hours. So I do think, once again, you can argue that the Kuznetsova match was a little bit better, but... Anytime you get a tie break that ends up at 22-20, it was the longest tie break in women's history, especially in Grand Slam history, and Rabakina lost as Blinkova was able to get the job done. It took her 10 match points. We had 16 match points in the actual final set as Blinkova had a couple chances to serve it out, choked it away both times. It happens, uh, but Blinkova was up uh, what was she up? She was up 4-3. Uh, no, sorry. Yeah, she was up 4-3, got broken. So Rabakina broke back. Then she broke again to make it 5-4 to serve it out, got broken again, then broke again to serve it out at 6-5 and got broken again. So you had six straight games with breaks, or I should say, uh, what was that, five straight games with breaks? Six straight games with breaks? Uh, it was five straight games with breaks, and the point is Blinkova was serving it out two separate occasions and even had two set points or match points in that 6-5 service game. Rabakina fought back, ended up getting the break back, and then we went to the breaker. And in that tie break, we had eight match points for Blinkova, and we had six match points for Rabakina. It's one of the greatest tiebreakers, probably the greatest tiebreaker ever played, either men's or women's, and Blinkova won. I don't really have much more to add. It was an insane spectacle at about, I don't know, 5 a.m. local time for me. But I watched it. I tuned it, I tuned in late into that third set, and I was fully hooked. It was a phenomenal match. It was a great moment. And props to Blinkova for overcoming the blown nine match points to win it on the lucky 10th try. And it was a very fun overall match. Did a great job in 
that tiebreak of dealing with the swings of things. You figure Rabakina would be better equipped to handle the nerves in that situation because she's won a Grand Slam before. She made the Australian Open final another year. So the point is, I figured Rabakina, as the tiebreak went longer, I thought eventually Blinkova would ironically blink and she would end up losing the match. Didn't happen. She fought, She hung in there, and she eventually waited for Rabakina's forehand, which kind of betrayed her for most of the match to let her down, and it was only fitting that the match ended on an unforced error by Rabakina near the net. But the point is, Blinkova pulled off an upset that was an all-timer, one of the greatest women's matches I've ever seen, and definitely one of the best women's matches that you're going to see all year. It's going to be almost impossible to beat this match if we're going through the best matches of the year in 2024. I don't know how you beat 22-20 in a tiebreaker in a Grand Slam event. So wanted to mention that. Wanted to give my flowers to Rabakina and to Blinkova for putting on an absolute gem of a match. And that was my brief segue into the women's tour. Uh, the point is, though, Rabakina is out. Sabalenka's been rolling. Swiatek's been a little bit shaky, but she once again was able to come back against Collins. But it does seem like as of right now, Sabalenka should be the favorite because she's been on cruise control the entire way through. We're brought to you by DraftKings. DraftKings Sportsbook is the official sports betting partner of the NFL playoffs, and it is bringing you a great offer to help make the playoffs more electrifying. New customers can bet $5 in any game and get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Maybe you want to look at some big spreads, maybe with the dog. Maybe you want to take Green Bay. Maybe you want to look at the Texans, some talented young quarterbacks there. Point is, though, if you download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the code SGP, New customers can bet just $5 to get $200 instantly in bonus bets only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code SGP. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888 788 Seven nine seven seven seven, or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bits expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash football for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms and responsible gambling resources. We're also brought to you by Cut. Cut is a peer-to-peer -peer social betting platform that's U.S.-based and legal in 40 states. Peer-to-peer -peer social betting is a new and better way to bet. Bet directly against your friends or other users on sports, politics, pop culture, and other events with verifiable outcomes, plus a ton of fun social features that give it a feel of a betting social network. Cut also offers lower, vague, and fully customizable odds. You can create your own bets. Cut handles the payment side of things. You never have to actually worry about that and chase anybody down for money, and they have great social features like group chats, betting leaderboards, head-to-head -head history, user profiles, fan groups, and more. And they have good rewards, too. Get cash back every single time you place a bet against your friends or other users. Remember that Cut is the peer-to-peer -peer social betting platform that's U.S.-based and legal in 40 states. Head to Cut.com, that's Cut, K-U-T-T.com, and use promo code SGPN for a 10% deposit bonus. Uh, as for... The men's tour to get back into the swing of things here for the second round. We're going to start off with the uh, matches kind of daily, uh, just by going through the start of the second round. I'm not going to cover all the outcomes, but the ones that kind of caught my eye. So starting off with a matchup between Kaboli and Kotov. Kotov's been solid to us recently, but Kaboli was our guy 
in the first round, and he continued the Cinderella run as he advanced into the third round. Sinner ended up burying DeJong. You saw, uh, what else was there? Dimenauer killed Arnaldi, which I thought was surprising. I thought Dimenauer would win. I didn't think he'd win with a bagel in there. 6-3, A Baez beat Galan, not totally shocked there. Musetti blew a two sets to one lead. Not exactly shocking. Musetti, I've mentioned before, being an underrated choker on the tour. His body gave out on him, and he eventually lost to Vanash. 6-0 into the fifth set. You saw Kashanov win in four like I thought he would. I thought Kovacevic was good enough to win a set, but I thought that Kashanov would win the match, and he did in four sets. Moving on to the matches on Wednesday, Fritz killed Gaston uh, in a pretty underwhelming match there. Shelton did beat O'Connell. I thought O'Connell would win a set, and he did, as Shelton won in four. Manorino had a war against Munar, which he won in five. Makic killed Tiafo as he won in straight sets. Tiafo's a clown. I've mentioned it several times on the show. I'm going to keep mentioning it. I can't trust him. He's too mentally fragile. And Makic has been in really good form. And he has a good matchup against Kashanov coming up in the third round, which we'll preview in a second. But that is definitely one of the surprising matchups, or I should say results, of the second round. Not the fact that Makic won, because we know Tiafo is capable of losing the upset at any time, but straight sets was not exactly on the bingo card, and Makic got the job done there in straight sets. Then you ended up seeing uh, Tsitsipas cash our plus 550 bet as he ended up losing the first set to Thompson, and he won in four. Was I impressed by Tsitsipas? Not really. He was serving it out for the match again, and he choked it before having to fight off several break points and eventually winning in the breaker in the fourth set. But Tsitsipas serving it out and choking pretty par for the course. That's who Tsitsipas is. Thompson had a lot of chances, even with some second serve opportunities to break Tsitsipas to win that fourth set. And he choked them away, too, as Tsitsipas eventually did a good job of regaining his composure and winning in four. Uh, Rublev killed Eubanks. I thought he would. Eubanks, I'm not a fan of. I don't think he's a very good player. I think he's fine. But Rublev is much better. You had Djokovic once again having a war against Papyrin as he won in four. Probably should have gone down two sets to one. He had to fight off about four set points or four break points against Papyrin in that third set. Fought him off and eventually won the breaker. And Papyrin eventually got broken midway through that fourth set as Djokovic did not look great, was shaking out the wrist a little bit in that match, but he was able to get the job done as he won in four. Laheshka ended up losing to Mickelson in four. That did surprise me. I thought Laheshka would win probably in three or four, but Mickelson came back from one set down. Maybe fatigue played a factor for Laheshka because he won a title the weekend prior, but I'm not going to make excuses for him. I called out Mickelson before the event, not thinking that he was really that great of a player. And he looked good against Laheshka. So good for him. Nori came back from two sets down, one in five. Zverev had a war against Klein as he was able to win that one via Super Breaker, 10-7. A lot of Super Breakers, though, uh, in the last day or so, as Rude ended up beating Purcell in a Super Breaker also by the score of 10-7. Paul won against Draper. Mentioned that before. You had a phenomenal Super Breaker between Kekmanovic and Struff, which Kekmanovic won in five uh, he won 11-9 in that Super Breaker. Kind of the way I thought the match would go. Thought it'd be up in the air. Did it lean to Kikmanovic, and I thought it might go five. It did, uh, but he did a good job of uh, fighting off some adversity. Anytime you lose the fourth set, 6-1, and you bounce back to win the fifth set, 7-6. Good resolve. Nice job by him. And you had Alcaraz beating Sonigo in four. Went the way I thought it would. I actually thought Sonigo could win a set in that one, and he did but I did think Alcaraz would eventually just outlast him, and he did. Shout out to Alcaraz, though, for that crazy shot around the net post, which I'm sure you've seen highlights of. Props to Alcaraz for winning that one. 
As for the match that took place on a Thursday morning, Borges killed Fakina in what I thought was the most shocking outcome of the entire day. Uh, not the fact that Fakina was being an idiot, but losing in straight sets is absolutely crazy to Borges. And I called out Borges. I don't think he's that good, but I'm going to give him props because he ended up winning in straight sets in the third round of a Grand Slam event. So he proved me wrong temporarily. Fakina, damn it, man. This is who you are. Why are you the way that you are? That's all I have to say. As for the sad story of the second round, the Cinderella story of Nagal is officially over as he won the first set against Shang, and then Shang beat him in the next three sets. Shang's really good. I called them out. I can't really say I called them out, but I mentioned him last year, early last year, when I watched him beat, I think it was Atta in the first round of the Australian Open, and I watched him win that match. I believe it was in four, and I said he'd be a future top 25, top 30 guy, He's well on his way to being that. Like, Chang is really good, and he's had a good run this season. He gave Rublev a run for his money in uh, Hong Kong, ended up beating Tiafo in that same event, too. So Chang's a very good player, and he was able to make him uh, make himself, uh, I'd say, a very solid threat uh, with a slightly improved serve, a lot of power on the wings, and I do think Chang will be a member of the top 20 in the near future, especially since he's only 18 years old. Greeks were beat Fees in four. We had the over three and a half sets. Not a shock there. Umber beat Chang in four. Umber looked really good. I caught bits and pieces of that match. Uh, and Chang had a moment or two there where he could have maybe stolen the fourth, but Umber kept his nerve and eventually won in a tiebreak in the fourth set. Dimitrov did beat Kokonakis in four. I thought Dimitrov would win comfortably. I thought it was going to be one of the more uh, lackluster matches of the card because I kind of thought Kokonakis would get buried and he was on pace to get buried, but then he eventually won the third. But Dimitrov advances to the third round. Then you had an upset with Rune losing to uh, Kazu. I might I might be butchering the pronunciation, but it is French. So I believe you don't pronounce the X. I think it's Kazu, uh, but Kazu was able to get the job done in four. Very talented young French player. So keep an eye out on him moving forward. But Rune, not exactly shocked he ended up losing. Uh, we know Rune is a volatile player. And anytime he's in Australia, the conditions do get the better of him on occasion. But props to Kaza, who really took it to him and won in four. Felix did win in four sets against Grenier. Uh, besides that, you had Hercatch going five against Mensik. Mensik, good effort, but Hercatch was able to break uh, Mensik more uh, more just than Men Mensik was because Hercatch was a better server. And that's why the three sets that Hercatch did win were pretty lopsided. And then you had a fun marathon match between Rusevori and Mevedev, where Mevedev came back from two sets and break point down, one and five. And you ended up seeing Rusevori's shoulder and his body just portray him entirely after that fourth set breaker as he got bageled in the fifth set. So overall, once again, a lot of fun matches. To go through the actual Thursday morning matches once again, after the Borges and Fakina match, every match after that went at least four or five sets, which means that you had eight matches in a row that went to four or five sets. So a phenomenal just collection of matches on the men's and women's side that went the distance. You had insane record-breaking tiebreakers. You had drama. You had... Just a lot of unpredictability, which is what Grand Slams are all about. And hopefully the same drama continues in the next round. As for upsets, though, we really didn't see much. I mentioned Rune losing to Kaza. A lot of guys did drop sets. Djokovic dropped the set. Alcaraz dropped the set. Medvedev was down 2-0, but they all held on as they ended up winning. Zverev was the same way. Almost got upset there. He was able to win. Tiafo was an upset, but I know that he's a head case, so that wasn't as big of a shock. 
uh, to me, as maybe to some of you. Didn't expect him to lose, but Makic is still in good form. Well, Heschel losing was a bit surprising, but that's another case of a guy who won a title the weekend prior to a Grand Slam, losing early. Uh, yeah, not really anything else I have to add for upsets. Inori came back from two sets down. A lot of near upsets, but they don't count. So anyway, time to actually get into the third round preview for the men's side of the Australian Open. So starting off with the matches on Thursday uh, evening, we're going to look at the matchup between Makic and Kashanov. For this matchup, Kashanov is a favorite about minus 160. You have Makic at around plus 140. As for the game spread, minus 2 is the spread for Kashanov at minus 115. Plus 2 for Makic is at minus 105. Over-under for games is at 40 and a half. Over is minus 115, under is minus 105. Match to go to five sets is plus 190. Match to go four sets, or I should say four or five sets, is minus 260. For the set wagering, you can get Makic to win two sets at minus 160. Kashanov to win two sets is minus 375. Kashanov to win in straight sets is available at, sorry, trying to find the price on that, plus 325. And once again, you are expecting a bit of a marathon here as these two players get together. Now, Gashanov has looked fine. I think he's looked better in previous iterations of the Australian Open, but he's still been getting the job done. And to go through his path here, he ended up winning in four against Altmaier and Kovacevic. So he's been fine, but he has been dropping some sets to some weaker competition. As for Makic, he was able to win in straight sets against Mo- against uh, Mochizuki in the first round. Then he was able to win in straight sets against Tiafo in the second round. So I think Mokic is in great form, and I think he's alive to win this match. I'm going to lean to Mokic. I think he's a very talented player. And we saw him last year almost beat Djokovic. You might forget about that. He was in a third set, a three-set war against Djokovic last year, which Djokovic eventually won. But the point is that you think Mokic has a lot of talent to his game, and Kashanov has been very vulnerable at various points in matches. But the guy has not dropped a set yet in two rounds, pulled off an upset against Tiafo. I like the value at plus 140. I don't think it's going to be easy. I wouldn't mind Makic to win and each player to win a set. So Makic to win in four or five. But I'm going to lean to the over, and I am going to lean to the dog here to get the job done and to continue his very good form. Now, moving on to the next match that caught my eye. Once again, not going to cover every match on the card, but Makic did catch my eye. I'm not going to talk about uh, Sinner and Baez. I think Sinner kills Baez. Uh, no offense to Baez, but Sinner has been in great form. He's one of the only top players to not drop a set yet because everyone else has. So I'm going to take Sinner once again to win comfortably. Not going to bother. Fritz against Morozin's interesting because Fritz was in bad form early on in the, in the uh, first round as he almost lost to uh, Diaz Acosta, but he was able to beat Gaston in the straight sets in the next round. Gaston's not very good, so I don't know if that really means much. Uh, Morozin, though, was able to win in three against Rundolo, and he ended up beating Chilch in the first round in four. I can see Morozin winning a set. I think that Fritz is going to win the match. Seems like he regained his form a little bit, and I do think that's going to pay dividends for him in this matchup. So not really much to break down, but I do think that Fritz will win probably in four if I had to guess. Then you have Vanash taking on Sitsipas. Sitsipas is a massive favorite in this matchup as uh, you're looking at Sitsipas being minus 500. Banash is plus 400. Game spread minus 5.5 is for Sitsipas at minus 109. Plus 5.5 for Vanash is minus 111. 
Over under in games is at 37 and a half. Over is minus 109. The under is minus 111. As for the set wagering, Sissy Pass to win in straight sets is plus 145. Vanach to win a set is minus 175. Match to go over three and a half sets is minus 150. Match to go five sets is plus 300. So as we go through the path of both players, decent amount of long matches here. Now, Sissy Pass did drop a set, the first in particular, in each of the first two rounds. Lost the first set to Bergs and lost the first set to Thompson before eventually winning in a four. As for Vanach, he has had a couple of marathon matches, went to five seconds, uh, five sets against Duckworth and went to five sets against Musetti. In fact, he was actually down two sets to one in each of those matches before winning the fourth and the fifth sets. So for this matchup, do I think Paz is going to win? He should because he's more talented. Having said that, I was really not impressed by how he played against Thompson, and I do think he still struggles in big moments. And Thompson has also been a bit of a uh, been a bit of a choker throughout his career, which I mentioned in passing in the past. So I wasn't totally shocked that it was kind of a choke off in that matchup, or I should say in that game where City Pass was trying to stay alive in that fourth set, where Thompson had a bunch of break points, a bunch of second serve opportunities that City Pass was faulting on, where he had a good look at a second serve and he just couldn't convert. So once again, Thompson had some chances, kind of fumbled the bag there. And I do think that Tsitsipas, even though he won that match in four, still has a lot of moments where he struggles to clutch up. And I do think that Vanash can capitalize on those. But I think my main play for this match will be the over uh, for three and a half sets at about minus 140, minus 150. The fact that you've seen Vanash go to five sets in the first two rounds and the fact that Tsitsipas has dropped a set in each of the first two rounds, I do like the price at minus 140, minus 150. And the fact that Tsitsipas... I know he has the better serve, but the fact that he's constantly hitting on forced errors, that he's kind of having mental lapses in these matches. I mentioned it in the end of 2023 in the next-gen final uh, with Vanash. He's a very good player to take overs with because he tends to go to at least a deciding set in a lot of these matches, and it does seem like he's very capable of having ups and downs. But he can steal sets off of good players. He almost beat Zverev last year, for example. But I do think the over three and a half sets worth a look there at about minus 140, minus 150. Moving on to the next match, you have Manorino taking on Shelton. Uh, Shelton is a pretty decent favorite here of about minus 270. And you're looking at Manorino being about plus 220, give or take. As to the game spread, Shelton is minus four and a half games at minus 105. You have Manorino plus four and a half games at minus 115. Over under in games at 39 and a half. The over and the under are both at minus 110. For the set wagering, the over three and a half sets is available at minus 175. And you can get the match to go five at plus 240. Uh, you can get Shelton to win. Uh, in straight sets at minus 220. Manorino winning straight sets is plus 700. Shelton minus one and a half sets. So for Shelton to win in three or four is minus 140. Manorino to win two plus sets is plus 110. And I do think at the end of the day, looking at this matchup to go through the head-to-head, Manorino is 1-0 against Shelton. Did beat him last year in Miami uh, in three sets. Uh, if you're looking at the path, though, Manorino has had a struggle as he went to five sets against Waranka and five sets against Munar. Manorino's five set, fifth set record, by the way, is unbelievable. I don't have it in front of me, but over the past decade, he has been almost unbeatable in fifth sets, which I find kind of crazy, but look it up. I don't have the number in front of me. I saw it on Twitter, though. He's absolutely nuts in the fifth set. So I don't know what that is, but Manorino's ten, tended to get better as the matches have gone on. And I do think looking at 
Shelton, who did go to four sets against O'Connell, looked very good. The serve is going to be the story of this match because we know that Shelton's first serve is very solid. The second serve, though, is a little bit erratic at times, and I do think Manorino can definitely capitalize on the impatience of Shelton in these rallies. But I do think there's value on on a Manorino here. Now, the concern is the stamina because he's had back-to-back five-set matches. But I do think Shelton at minus 270, we saw him lose to Daniel in one of the warm-up matches into the, entering the USO, entering the Australian Open. But he lost to Daniel because Daniel was able to simply put weight for Shelton to hit unforced errors. And I think that's why, that's why Manorino was able to beat him in Miami last year. It's because Shelton, despite being a very talented player with a lot of firepower, He's still very young. He's still very immature. And Manorino's definitely not afraid of prolonging rallies and to keep the point alive as long as possible. He's also very unique to actually play against, and it's tough to prepare for him. I like Manorino in this spot. I think that he's pretty alive to win this. You can argue that Shelton will be able to outlast him. Maybe so, but the fact that Manorino's been that good in the fifth set of matches throughout his entire career and the fact that Manorino, once again, has already beaten Shelton in the head-to-head on hard court last year does tell me that Manorino has the game to beat Shelton. The price is off, just simply put. Shelton should be closer to, like, minus 140, in my opinion. I think it's really close. So give me Manorino uh, to get the job done here, plus four and a half games, or even the money line at about plus 220. I think there is value on the dog in that match. Moving on to the other match that I do think is pretty appealing, uh, involving a guy that's been around for a long time, Novak Djokovic. Uh, you're looking at a matchup between Djokovic and Echeverry, which will be taking place at around 3 a.m. on Friday. Djokovic is a big favorite in this match, to no surprise. Uh, but Djokovic is around a minus 8 or a minus 7.5 game favorite here at minus 110. You're looking at Echeverry at plus 7.5 at minus 110. Over-under in games at 32 flat. The over is minus 113. Under is minus 107. Djokovic to win straight sets is minus 145. Echeverry to win a set is plus 115. Match to go to four, match over three and a half sets is plus 130. Match to go five is plus 550. Now, Djokovic has been winning, but he has not looked that impressive. Went to four sets against Prismich, went to four four sets against Papyron. Should have probably gone down two sets to one there, but Papyron choked away a couple of set points in that uh, third set. But Echeverry's been very good. One in straight sets against Murray, one in straight sets against Monfee. Yes, both guys are past their primes, but I do think that Echeverry has the game to make it interesting for this current form of Djokovic. And I do think Echeverry can still lose in straight sets and cover this line, maybe in a breaker, maybe loses in uh, six fours throughout uh, across the board. And that way he only loses by six games and the spread seven and a half. But simply put, I can't lay seven and a half with Djokovic based on the current form and the fact that he was kind of feeling out the wrist and even his leg late in that fourth set against Papyron tells me that Djokovic once again is having some durability. I don't want to say concerns because he's able to win through it anyway, but the fact that he's not 100% and the fact that Echeverry's in great form, probably the best form he's ever had on a hard court. I like him. And I believe Djokovic is also Echeverry's idol. So you might have a little bit of an emotional attachment there where Echeverry tries to put his best foot forward against his idol, so we'll see what happens. But I do think Echeverry has a lot of value here. Is he going to win the match? Hell no. I'm not telling you that. But I think 7.5 is too big of a spread, and I do think the over 3.5 sets at plus 130 is very appealing, especially based on Djokovic dropping a set to Prismic and to Papyron. If you want to get specific, maybe you can take Echeverry to win the second set. If you can find a market on that mid-match, because Djokovic did drop the second set 
in each of the first two matches. Maybe it's a coincidence, maybe it's not, but I think it's pretty interesting. So maybe that's an angle too. But Djokovic at minus 1,800, I get it. I'm not going to take Echeverry money line, but I do think you can make an argument. Maybe Echeverry wins the first set and loses the match if you want to go for that approach. I don't feel as good about it as I did for Sitsipas. You might want to run that back as well with the Sitsipas match against Van Asch. But I do think, once again, trying to find value from minus 1,800 favorites is always tricky. And I do think you can try to get creative with it. And because of that, I do think first set and uh, money line is an interesting market to target an injured player who has been able to overcome it, but not been able to dominate the way that he should. Uh, so looking at quickly the first set and the uh, money line here, for Tsitsipas, Van Asch to win the first set and Tsitsipas to win the match is plus 550. So the same exact odds that we saw in the last round. Djokovic, though, to look at his odds, Djokovic to lose the first set and to win the match is plus 700. So you turn a minus 1,800 favorite to plus 700. I got to be tempted by it. Like, I think that's a very good deal. You're basically saving yourself 25 bucks uh, turning minus 1,800 to plus 700. Is it going to win? Probably not. But I do think, once again, if you think Djokovic is going to win, but you do think he's vulnerable, Echeverry, I think, can take a set off him. If Prismich and Papyron can do it, why can't, why can't Echeverry? And I do think that maybe uh, plus 700 is worth something. So we'll see what happens there. But I think there's some value on that market. Uh, moving on, though, to the next match. Uh, you're looking at Dimenauer against Kaboli. Should be fun. Dimenauer is a pretty decent favorite, as he should be, after he buried uh, Arnaldi in the previous round. Now he's another Italian on the board, as he is currently a minus 1,500 favorite. He's minus 8 on the games. Kaboli is plus 8 on the games at minus 115. Over-under for the actual games in the match at 31, minus 110 on both sides. For the actual sets, over three and a half sets is plus 135, and you can get Dimenauer to win in straight sets at minus 145. Uh, sorry, uh, you can get Dimenauer to win straight sets at minus 150. Gaboli to win a set is plus 120. Now, I do think Dimenauer has been in great form. Gaboli's been good to us. Do I think Gaboli has the firepower to maybe win a set off Dimenauer? Yeah, I think he can. Am I picking him to win the match? No. I think is going to win. He was my pick to be... Uh, probably a quarterfinalist or a round of 16 guy. So I think Dimenauer has been in great form, newest member of the top 10. I do think eight games is pretty steep. I know he ended up burying Arnaldi, so you can argue that maybe that number is warranted. I like Caboli. I think he's pretty good. I think that Dimenauer is going to win once again, but I do think that he's going to win without that big of a margin. The 6-0 was kind of out of nowhere against Arnaldi, and I think that Caboli can use the firepower to push Dimenauer around the court. So I do think that Dimenauer is going to win, but I do think you might see a couple of 6-4s in there. So I'm going to lean to the games here with the dog at plus 8. Uh, moving on to the next match, you have Rublev taking on... Um, yeah, Rublev taking on Korda, which should be interesting, as Rublev is about a minus 260 favorite. Korda is plus 220. Rublev minus 4 games, minus 110. And you have Korda uh, plus 4 games and minus 110 as well. Over-under for games in the match is at 39.5. The over is minus 110. Unders minus 110. Match to go to a uh, match to go over three and a half sets is minus 195. Match to go to five is plus 220. Rublev to win in straight sets is available at uh trying to find the price there. Sorry, uh plus 240. Quarter win in straight sets is plus 700. Rublev minus one and a half sets is minus 115. Quarter plus one and a half sets is minus 115. So to go through the path of both players, Rublev had a really dangerous first round match. 
which he won in five sets against Siebold Wild. Then he ended up beating Eubanks in straight sets. Uh, as for Korda, similar story, had a five-set marathon against Capriva, then beat Hallis in straight sets. I like Rublev minus one and a half sets here. Uh, they faced off two times in their careers. Rublev did win both matches on hard court in straight sets. So I do think that Rublev might have a couple of competitive sets here. But Korda, I just think is too volatile. I trust Rublev more. I think both players are going to bring it. But I do think that mentally, Rublev is tougher by a decent margin than Korda. So give me Rublev minus one and a half sets there at minus 115 to reduce the juice. Moving on uh, to the next match, you have uh, Felix against Medvedev. Medvedev is a big favorite of about minus 500 or a little bit higher than that, as Medvedev is currently at about, yeah, minus 640 is what I see right now. Uh, Felix, once again, chop, chop around. You might find better lines. Felix is plus 460, give or take. Uh, Medvedev minus six games is minus 108. Felix plus six is minus 112. Over under in games is at 35 and a half. As for the set wagering into this matchup, I actually don't have lines available on that right now, but I'm assuming the lines will be pretty appealing for uh, over three and a half sets. Now, in the head-to-head, Medvedev has owned Felix in their careers as Medvedev is undefeated in six meetings. He is currently 6-0 against Felix, so once again, I do think Medvedev should be able to get the job done in this match. However, the matches have been somewhat close. They faced off in the Australian Open back in 2022, and Medvedev did come back from two sets down as he fought off a couple of match points, actually, as he ended up winning in five. So they faced off in here in the past, and Felix was able to win two sets and arguably should have won the match. But you have seen a close set of matches here where Medvedev wins, but it's been pretty competitive. Doha, for example, last year, Medvedev did win 6-4, 7-6. You had the five-setter in the Australian Open. You had a uh, three-setter in Toronto back in 2018, which Medvedev won. Point is, I do think Felix can make it interesting for maybe a set or two. I think Medvedev's going to win, uh, but I do think Felix has looked better this year. Did drop a set, though, to Grenier, so both guys have been a bit vulnerable, but Medvedev did drop a set to Atmain and two sets to Rusevori. I am kind of tempted by Felix plus the games, or at least the uh, over three and a half sets, once there's a line posted on that. But uh, Medvedev's been good, not dominant, and that's good enough for me. I'm actually going to lean to Felix to keep this competitive, but I think Medvedev is going to win. Now, jumping around to some of the other matches, uh, you're looking at Umber against Hercatch. Hercatch is the favorite of... Uh, he's a pretty small favorite, actually, uh, but he's currently available at uh, minus 165. You have uh, Umber at plus 145. Game spread Hercatch is minus two and a half games at minus 106. Umber plus two and a half games is at minus 114. Over under for games is at 41. Uh, as for the actual head to head, Hercatch is 2 0 lifetime. Uh, they faced off most recently in Basel in 2023, and Hercatch did win that one in three with a tie break in the final set, and you saw him win in Halla on grass in 2022 in straight sets. Now, Hercatch had a marathon against Mensik, where all three sets that he won were comfortable, but he lost two competitive set, uh, sets. As for Umber, he went to four sets against Golfin and four sets against Shang, uh, so he's been in good form, but he has been a little bit susceptible to some dips occasionally, but I like Umber in the spot. I think that Hercatch, even though he's a very good server, Umber has really picked up his game to another level over the last couple months, and we saw him win an ATP title at the end of last year in his home country. I do think Umber has the game to make life interesting for Hercatch. Very crafty lefty, underrated serve, especially with the kick, uh, with the left, uh, with the uh, lefty, you know, spin to it. But I think you're looking at Umber 
who can hit some powerful forehands and backhands. He can try to outlast her catch. Good core coverage, but I do like Umber for the value in this match. I'm going to lean to the over. I think you'll probably see at least one breaker, maybe two. Probably goes four or five, but I am going to lean to Umber to get the job done here at about plus 145. Moving on to the next matchup we're going to talk about between... Uh, what match do I want to talk about here? I think Nori and Root is interesting, but Root is 3-0 in the head-to-head, and I think I think Root's probably going to beat him uh, beat him in uh, three or four. Uh, looking at the matchup between Paul and Kekmanovic, though, Paul is a pretty decent favorite here, as Paul is available at about... Uh, sorry, where is the money line? Uh, he's available at minus 210. Uh, you're looking at Kekmanovic at plus 180. Paul minus four games is minus 115. Kekmanovic plus four games is minus 105. Over-under for games in the match is at 38.5. Over is minus 120. Under is even money. As for set wagering, match to go over 3.5 sets is minus 210. And you're looking at Paul to win in straight sets at plus 250. to win in straight sets is plus 800. Paul minus 1.5 sets is minus 115. Kekmanovic plus 1.5 sets is minus 115. Now, Kekmanovic is actually 3-1 in the head-to-head against Paul. Paul did win the most recent matchup, though, in Cincinnati, as he won 7-5-7-6. The concern, though, is going to be stamina, because Kikmanovic had an absolute war against Struff, which took 3 hours and 21 minutes. Truth is, 3 hours and 21 minutes for a final set Super Breaker is actually not that bad. You'd assume you'd be around the 4-hour mark at that point in time. As for Paul, though, had a fun match against Draper, which he did win in four. to go through the time on court in that one, two hours and 58 minutes, so not much of a difference there in terms of time on court. But I do like the value with the dog here. Kekmanovic, once again, being three and one in the head-to-head, tells me that his game can give Paul problems. I think Paul is, very lo- is, is of course, worthy of being a favorite. But 250, I think, is a bit steep here, 210, uh, depending on where you shop around. It's a little bit large. I think Paul should be closer to minus 160, in my opinion. So I think the values on Kikmanovic, I do like both players to win a set. So I do like the over in that, maybe parlayed with um, Kikmanovic maybe to win the match. Maybe you want to take a uh, Kikmanovic plus uh, one and a half sets, and you can get that at minus 110 or so. So that's interesting too, but I do think that match can be interesting, and I do think that you might end up seeing what should be a pretty long match between those players. Now, I think that Alcaraz is going to beat Shang pretty comfortably, so I'm not going to bother with that one. Uh, Zverev's been in some marathons with Mickelson. I don't mind Mickelson to potentially win a set or two, as Zverev's been dropping sets to almost everybody so far in this event. And if you want Mickelson to, by the way, win a set, you can get that at minus 145. Match to go over three and a half sets at minus 120. I think that is pretty interesting. But that's going to wrap it up, though, for the uh, third round matches on the men's side. Now it's time for the lock and dog bets. Before we get into any of that, kind of a quick word from our sponsor. We're brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Underdog Fantasy has a way to play alongside your favorite fantasy players all season long. NFL, NBA, NHL, college basketball, and college football. Simply pick higher or lower on your favorite players' fantasy stats and cash in. So watch along, make your picks, and maybe make a little money over Underdog's mobile app or website, underdogfantasy.com. And remember, when you sign up with the promo code SGPN, Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. So Underdog Fantasy, promo code SGPN. We're also brought to you by Hall of Fame Bets. Win bigger betting smarter at the end of all season with Hall of Fame Bets, sports betting analytics platform for parlays, player props, and game lines. Research every NFL, NBA, and soccer bet with historical stats and data. Enter any parlay idea 
into Hall of Fame Bets' revolutionary parlay optimizer tool to get hit rates broken down by leg, as well as an expected probability for the entire parlay. Sort all players by hit rate for any bet to learn which players are hot and which picks have value. Stop betting in the dark and join over 30,000 users researching with Hall of Fame Bets to craft more intelligent, data-driven parlays. Download the Hall of Fame Bets average at HOFBets.com and use code SGPN to get 50% off your first month. Start researching, start winning with Hall of Fame Bets. We're also brought to you by the SGPN Merch Store. 15% off everything in the store from now until the end of the month. Promo code playoffs. We're competing against other shows for a bonus. So once again, if you do like the tennis podcast, I'd recommend buying some merch. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Just finished previewing the third round of the Men's Australian Open. Now it's time for the lock and dog picks. Starting off with the lock, I think I am going to go back to that Djokovic and Echeverry match, and I am going to go with the plus 7.5 games at minus 110. Now, over the last day or two, the lines plummeted. You could have gotten 8.5 initially, and you could have potentially gotten 8 as well last night. Now it's at 7.5 market-wide. I still like it at 7.5. Simply put, Djokovic has been vulnerable. He's been winning. But the fact that the wrist has bothered him is also stretching out his leg a bit in the fourth set of that Papyrus match. I do think he's going to win, but Echeverry's been in great form. He's won straight sets in each of the first two rounds, so he hasn't been on the court that long. Djokovic has. We've seen some dips in his game. And the fact that he dropped the set to Prismich and Papyrin tells me that I think Echeverry can win a set potentially in this match. Even if he doesn't, 7.5 is still a massive spread that Djokovic has had a hard time covering in this event because he has been going to some breakers, and he's been... He almost went down, once again, two sets to one to Papyrin. So I think that Echeverry, who has never been known for being a great hardcore player, did show signs at the end of last year in the U.S. Open of being a potentially improving hardcore player. He's been good, simply put. And I think that looking at seven and a half games against an injured opponent, no matter how great Djokovic is, is definitely worth something. You might remember last year, we took Dimitrov, plus the games against Djokovic when he had the hamstring issue, and Djokovic won in straight sets. But we still won with Dimitrov because he went to a breaker in the first set and then the match got interesting. And I believe Dimitrov covered by a hook, I think. But still, the point is seven and a half games for a guy that's been struggling to win in straight sets is a massive spread. And because of that, I'm going to go with Echeverry plus the seven and a half games here at minus 110 as my lock. For my dog, I'm going to go back to the first match we talked about between Makic and Kashanov. I am I am going to go with Makic to win uh, at plus 140. Simply put, I think he's in great form. The fact that he has not dropped a set yet is pretty impressive. Tiafo's a head case, but he still beat him in straight sets. Tiafo, stamina-wise, or at least historically speaking, has been good in the Australian Open, and the fact that he was able to beat him in straight sets tells me that Makic might be on the verge of a very, very good 2024 season. Kashanov's been fine, but he, once again, he did drop a set in each of the first two rounds to some pretty weak competition as he dropped a set to Kovacevic and to... Uh, sorry, pulling it up to Altmaier. Altmaier, there's no shame in because Altmaier was in good form uh, entering the event besides the match that he retired in because of injury against Fees. But that went to two tie breaks. Could have gone either way. Kovacevic dropping a set, though, is definitely a cause for concern for me. Makic, though, beat Tiafo straight sets, beat Mochizuki in straight sets. He's been really good, and I think the price is low for a reason. I think they're daring you to take Kashanov because of his previous success in the Australian Open, making the semifinals last year. But simply put, I think this price is short for a reason. I think Makic is playing the best tennis of his career, and I do think he has the game to beat and outlast Kashanov if this goes a long way. So for me, I'm going to go with the... Uh, money line price here of Makic at plus 140 as my dog. So once again, by locking on picks of the show, the lock is going to be on Echeverry, plus 7.5 games at minus 110 against Djokovic, and my dog will be 
on Makic. Moneyline at plus 140 against Kashanov. That's going to wrap it up for the third round of the Australian Open. We'll back once again for the round of 16. Until then, though, find me on Twitter at Rice Show Radio. Find me on a bunch of podcasts with the network. Find me on the NBA show, the NFL show. I get the point. A big piece of news, though, for the tennis show, which might excite some of you. Normally, the only way to consume this podcast in previous years was through Spotify or Apple Podcast. It is not officially up yet, but there will be a new way to consume the podcast. There's also going to be a new format to the podcast. We're going live because we are going to be getting our own YouTube channel, and we will be uploading live streams for the uh, next, I don't know, forever, as long as we actually have the show. So there will be live streams. So once again, you might notice from the current format, it is recorded. So occasionally I'll do multiple takes on stuff that is going out the window. But still, point is, if you do want to jump in, ask questions or get immediate uh, feedback on matches, because I know you might be racing against the clock, depending on when you watch it, uh, via podcast to get your bets in and maybe the lines might move that will not be an issue anymore because we will be doing live streams in the immediate future not up yet but that will be happening but that's gonna wrap it up once again until next time until the fourth round of the australian open good luck to all of you and all of your bets bye everyone